All right, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to New Ideal Live. This is the video and podcast series of, the, of New Ideal, the journal of the Ayn Rand Institute. We discuss complex issues and events shaping our world from the perspective of the philosophy of Ayn Rand, the philosophy of objectivism. It's a philosophy that upholds the ideals of reason, individualism, and capitalism. You can visit our publications at newideal.einrand.org. And you can join the Q&A, because some of you may be watching on Facebook or Zoom, you can join the Q&A through Zoom uh, at zoom.us forward slash join. The meeting ID 812-506-718. And today our topic, uh, so my name is Aaron Smith, and I'm going to be joined by my colleague Ankar Gatte. Uh, and our subject today is, is there a right to mass protest? And part of the reason we wanted to discuss this is that a few weeks ago, we did a webcast uh, on the recent protests following the killing of George Floyd. And we got questions about uh, Ayn Rand's perspective about protests and demonstration, in some cases in the context of free speech, and what are some of the implications of her views for uh, the present day. So we're gonna talk both a bit about what Ayn Rand said and both, and also just what we think, what Ankar and I think about some of the issues um, that we're gonna be discussing. Uh, so let's bring in Ankar. Uh, are you out there somewhere, Ankar? Yeah, hi, Aaron. I wanna start with, I mean, let's get some of Ayn Rand's uh, views on the table here. And in, I think it was 1977, she was commenting on uh, a lawsuit uh, regarding a Nazi group that wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois, and this eventually went to the Supreme Court and so on, but she was commenting on that. Um, and I wanna read a quote from this, uh, what she wrote, quote, what I challenge, and not only because of that particular case, is the interpretation of demonstrations and of other actions as so-called symbolic speech. When you lose the distinction between action and speech, you lose eventually the freedom of both. The Skokie case is a good illustration of that principle. There is no such thing as symbolic speech. You do not have the right to parade through public uh, streets or to obstruct public thoroughfares. You have the right of assembly, yes, on your own property and on the property of your adherents or your friends. But nobody has the, quote, right to clog the streets. The streets are only for passage. The hippies in the 60s should have been forbidden to lie down on city pavements. They used to lie down across a street and cause dreadful traffic snarls in order to display their views, to attract attention, to register a protest. If they were permitted to do it, the Nazis should be permitted as well. Both properly should have been forbidden. They may speak, yes. They may not take action at whim on public property. So end quote. So one of the things I wanted to talk about or get your views on is I mean, there are a number of issues that come up in that in that passage. I mean, one is that uh, the distinction between speech and action, uh, what counts as speech and which is covered by First Amendment. So, I mean, the First Amendment is supposed to guarantee a right to free speech and to a peaceable assembly and protest or like redress of grievances and so on. Um, so in, in the context of the First Amendment, do you want to say something about what Ayn Rand has to say in that passage? I think the first thing that's worth stressing is how radical her position is. So hers is a radical philosophy and its principles, like she has a book, The Virtue of Selfishness, its principles are radical, unconventional. And 
the result that, that the principles are radical and unconventional is that their application to many, many issues are unconventional as well. So she has a position that most people don't share. And if you think in um, the discussions today, it's, yeah, of course, there's a right to protest. Um, it has to be peaceful and so on. And what she argued about the Skokie case, so in the Skokie case, they were not allowed to march. I think what happened is they had a demonstration in a public park in Chicago, but they were prohibited from marching. And this is part of what she's commenting on is this kind of double standard and that this should not be allowed. If the hippies are allowed to do it, neo-Nazis should be allowed to do it. But her position is that nobody should be allowed to do it. Um, so just to get how radical, nobody says that today that no one should be allowed to conduct these kind of protest demonstrations, even if peaceful. And, and then to get like, why does she think that? She thinks it follows from the principle of individual rights. So she's a big defender of the First Amendment and, and the proper interpretation of the First Amendment as protecting the right to free speech and other rights as well. So I think the interesting thing to get is it's radical and she thinks of it as flowing from the principle of individual rights. And one of the ways that she thinks about rights, and I think to get how she's thinking about the Skokie case, but as she deliberately says, it's not restricted to the Skokie case. I'm talking broadly about what the principle at issue is, is that you all rights depend on property rights. So her view was there's one right, the right to life. And when we break it up, a right to liberty, a right to property, a right to the pursuit of happiness, there are just aspects of this one right. And crucial to getting that there are aspects is they can't exist without each other. And in particular, because she really stresses this because property rights have been attacked so much in, if you think of the history of the US, um, she really stresses that you can't understand any rights without property rights. So the distinction she's making is you have a right to speak using your own property and a right to assemble on your property or if you lease out a space, if you lease out a stadium, like think of the political rallies, like Trump's political right. rallies in the news because of COVID. If you lease out this arena, yeah, you've got a right to assemble there, but it's radically different than on public property. So let's spend a little time on that because that's that's a that's a, a perspective that I think many people would want to push back on, uh, and I think it's not crazy that they would right. think that. So it's because it, the norm seems to be that. <clears throat> uh, I mean, we tend we I mean, America has tended to accept uh, that you can uh, protest on a public street. Um, maybe you need to get a permit or something, but you can protest on a public street or block off a street and. Um, why is, so one issue is public property. So one issue is, can you assemble on public property and it's not privately owned? So how do you adjudicate that? Uh, who's, whose property rights are you violating if you're on public property? That's one issue. The other issue is why is the issue of, the issue of mass demonstrations versus a demonstration? Like if you and I stand on the corner with a sign, that's not a mass demonstration. But what's the issue about it being a mass demonstration that makes it such a problem? Yeah, I, I think she has an interesting perspective on that as well. So if you think of the the concept of private, uh, sorry, of public property, and what, what she uses is she doesn't even call it property. She calls it public thoroughfares, the roads, the highways, things like that. 
Um, but they're, you can think of them, they're administered by the government. Uh, so public parks, public streets, things like that. They're there for a particular purpose. The roads, the highways are there for people to be able to get from A to B. A public park is there for people to enjoy a walk in the woods or a picnic. They're not created for mass demonstrations that people can occupy this um, and spend the whole day shouting or making speeches and so on. That's not the purpose of the streets. It's not the purpose of a public park. She had the same view of public universities. They're there for education. You have an administration, you have to have an administration enforcing the rules like this is why this public university exists. She was against public universities, but if they exist, it's for the purpose of education, not for demonstrations. And you can't certainly obstruct people from getting into classrooms. Right. And when you think about in the 60s, um, and some of this has gone on with the deplatforming of speakers, right. they literally stop people from getting into the auditorium. They want- Physically stop. Yeah, they want to hear the speech and you're stopped. And that's, um, her view is, no, if you're going to accept that these are public spaces. And so they're there for a purpose. And you can't just act, one of the ways she puts it um, in one of her writings, when she, the, cash, uh, the cashing in the student rebellion, when she's talking particularly about the student protests at universities, is you don't have the right to act on whim on these kind, in these kind of public spaces. And there's a vast difference between if I drive my car to work and I go on the public street versus I have a demonstration that stops everybody from getting to work. Yeah, and so that so what you're saying, and at least in part, is that uh, there's a di there's a distinction between speech and action. On the one hand, it's one thing; it's about you're communicating ideas. Uh, and on the other hand, you're using your body to block people from getting where you want, or your car, uh, or preventing people from getting into a classroom, or you're sitting in so somebody can't get yeah. uh, use their office or whichever. And the other issue about it being a mass demonstration yeah something so, to that because I, I i think i i mean well i'll let you go ahead well here's I'll, just I mean, a little bit from the cashing in the student rebellion of what she writes generally and then we'll talk a little bit about its application she says rights are not a matter of numbers and there can be no such thing in law or in morality as actions forbidden to an individual but permitted to a mob the only power of a mob as against an individual is greater muscular strength, i.e. plain brute physical force. The attempt to solve social problems by means of physical force is what a civilized society is established to prevent. So if you think, if you and I went to the Brooklyn Bridge and had signs about, let, let, let's say, I wouldn't do this, but let's say we had signs, who is John Galt? <laughs> and we, we, prevent traffic from going. And we're just, the two of us are walking back and forth in cars. We would most likely, and rightly, but most likely we would be arrested by the police and they make sure that yeah. if there's a hundred of us or 500 of us, it doesn't change the issue. It's just, there's more of us. So we're more intimidating and it's harder for the police to detain us all. But that's just an issue as she puts it as muscular strength of physical force. That's what's settling. Okay, we can stop you if there's two of you. That's ridiculous that you guys say you're protesting and so no traffic can cross this bridge. But if there's 500 of us, now we're a mob and yeah. now we can have some legitimacy 
And then it's, well, okay, I guess this is free speech and then you should be able to do this. And her view is that's, you're already introducing physical force as settling disputes. That that is, you have credibility because you're big numbers and you don't if you're only two people. And that, so this distinction, there's a distinction to be made, I think, between peaceful protests and when they violence, riots, looting. And so, right. But her view was that these peaceful protests are already the introduction of force into the situation. And for that reason, should be stopped. And it, the numbers don't matter if there's two people, 500 or 5,000. Yeah, I mean, it's an important point because uh, when people think force, they think violence. And it's like, if you have a peaceful protest that's blocking people from getting to work, making diverting traffic uh, or preventing people from using a classroom, that that is already is the introduction of force. Um, you know, because you're, you, you're physically preventing, you're using your body or your vehicle or something to physically prevent people from getting where they're going. Yeah, and to which they have a right. To, like, you have a yeah. right to go to work. You have, if you're a student on a campus, a public university, you have a right to listen to speakers and go to class and so on. Yeah, yeah I mean, and the other thing is, I think when, um, and this is, we, we're seeing this happen today, is that when, whenever you have mass demonstrations, mass, even hundreds of people gathered in one spot, um, it almost always, oh, well, I'll put it this way. It provides the cover of anonymity for more violent elements, whether they're sympathetic to the cause or they're just riffraff coming in to cash in on a, uh, on a, a situation, a public, uh, whether it's an emergency or it's a protest or whichever. Um, and you start to see this and it muddy, it, I think it's one of the dangers of the mass protest is that by assembling in huge numbers, it attracts that element. Uh, and then what happens is you get, you get vandalism, you get looting, you get arson, all sorts of things that are coming out of, I think the fact that you can get away very easily. It's very hard for the police to actually police something like that. I mean, it puts them in a horrible position. Uh, yeah. to have to try to adjudicate and police and who threw that brick and you can't tell what's going on and are the cars burning and you just sort of arrive on the scene and you don't know what's going on and it also mix it helps to mix the what's the word um the message so if the message is you know end some injustice uh and what you get is some random person gets beat up and their shop window smashed and they had nothing to do with it. It's well, what do you, what do you stand for? All you people standing around here with signs or whatever, do you, do you condone this? Are you, and then it's, it's, it's an, un, it, then the message becomes unclear. And it's, I, I think it's one of the reasons, I mean, I never go to these kinds of things. I mean, because it's, it's, I don't know who's there. I don't know what the people stand for and I can have my own sign. Somebody else has some other sign. But if it's a mass gathering, I stay far away from that. It's, 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 yeah. it's, call, it's almost called, they're not asking for violence, but I mean, asking in the sense that it's, it does attract it. And yeah, and it attracts it for a logical mm -hmm. reason in the sense that if, if it's right, her view, which I think it is right, but what she's arguing is, the mass protests are already the introduction of force. So once that's allowed, that you'll have people who, oh, force is allowed. So I guess I can smash windows and do, uh, so now it's, it's, you can put it as violence. It's, it's a much greater use of force, but you've already made it legitimate 
that, oh, force and intimidation, that's part of, that's what the mass protest is. Look at all the bodies, look at our numbers. And so when you put it, it's like you're giving cover and you're opening the door. The cover, I think, is you've sanctioned the principle that, yeah, force is a legitimate means of settling disputes or settling issues, cultural or societal issues or legal issues. And if you've done that, then you can understand why it would unleash people who are even more willing or, or even more willing to use force or more willing to use more force. Yeah. And it, I think it put, I think it puts the protesters in it like the, the more the, the nonviolent protesters in a, in a, in a, in a bad light as well. I mean, and I'm, so I want to, I want to well, say, I should stress one thing is that one of the things we're trying to bring out in this webcast is that some distinctive points that Rand holds. And one of is that, that you are introducing force merely by being at a mass demonstration on public property, uh, even if you're peaceful. And that's interesting and that's worth thinking about. And this is not the same thing as to say, it's improper to be protesting uh, in these injustices and so on. So that's not, don't take it as that. You know, because there are all sorts of, uh, I think, legitimate reasons why people would think there are, there's there's real injustices here that need to be righted and they want to do something, they want to speak out, they want to, I don't know, show their support um, for, you know, countering this kind of injustice. And that's, and that's often well motivated. But this is a form in which that I think it's not a proper form. Yeah, and there's all kinds of injustices, including legal injustices. I mean, so that one can be concerned about it if you take it outside of this context. And if you take just some of the things Ayn Rand was concerned about, uh, some of the things we, I mean, we both work at ARI, issues ARI is concerned about, one of the big uh, travesties in American law that Ayn Rand talked about, wrote a fair amount about, was the antitrust laws. Right. And she really encouraged people, you should actively oppose these laws. They penalize good businessmen because they're good. So she thought that these are really, really unjust laws targeting the best in business and penalizing them because they're so successful and supposedly have squashed their competition, uh, which just means they outcompeted, not that they forced their competition to, to uh, not sell their products or something like that. And, but what she did not encourage is go out and mass protest and block, clog the streets, as she puts it, in order to do this. It's talk to your congressmen, uh, if there's organizations fighting for better laws here and getting rid of the antitrust laws, support those organizations, so on. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of things one can do against laws that one think are unjust that are not, I'm going to mass protest on the streets and, and prevent people from getting to work and block them and so on. Yeah, and I mean, that, I mean, that brings up the issue that um, you have to think about what it is your protesting and how, what constructive ways in which you can move the culture in a better direction. And often it is, as you said, uh, it's looking at what particular laws or policies um, protect or incentivize certain kinds of unjust behavior. Um, and that takes some work and takes yeah. real thinking that I think standing with a sign doesn't help. I want to ask something uh, about what's this notion of symbolic speech. Um, and 
the question then is, can acts of violence and theft count as, quote, symbolic speech? In other words, are they the kinds of things that uh, you might think of as protected in some form by the First Amendment? And I want to read a section from uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. This was in 1967 uh, to the American Psychological Association, because this, this, this passage uh, in this kind of point is being brought up again in some cases to, what's the word? To, to support in some way some of the looting. And so here's the quote, this is from Dr. King's speech. Quote, urban riots must now be recognized as durable social phenomena. They, are, they may be deplorable, but they're there and should be understood. Urban riots are a special form of violence. They are not insurrections. The rioters are not seeking to seize territory or to attain control of institutions. They are mainly intended to shock the white community. They are a distorted form of social protest. The looting, which is their principal feature, serves many functions. It enables the most enraged and deprived Negro to take hold of consumer goods with the ease the white man does by using his purse, etc. And it goes on. He says, often the, ne quote, often the Negro does not even want what he takes. He wants the experience of taking. End quote. Um, and that's coming up again in a ways in which the, the point being made is, well, this is a form of speech or a form of expressing oneself, and that should be protected or at least not denounced for those kind of reasons. Um, yeah, so it's certainly not a form of speech. Uh, and I mean, she's against symbolic speech. And there it means just walking, demonstrating. So there's even a speech aspect to it if you're carrying a placard that has something on it. But what you're not doing is just conveying an idea. You're clocking the streets with a placard. And her view is that's not symbolic speech. That's clocking the streets. And you don't have a right to do this. And it doesn't matter if you have a placard, what it says on the placard. And so it's, and, and this is the sense in which it's, it's not essentially what you're doing is communicating ideas. What you're essentially doing is clogging up a street, preventing people from going to their office or getting back home. And so, and what you're trying to do to the extent that it has a speech aspect to it, that you have a sign up and take a look at my sign. So you're trying to force the people to read this. Like you can't move, you can't get to your office, but here's my sign, read this. Or to the and, hospital. Yeah. And the, the right to free speech means that you on your property and with your money and so on can speak your mind, your ideas and so on. But it, on the part of the audience, it means they can say, no, I don't want to listen to this. And I'm going to go my own way. And that's exactly what you're preventing them. Like, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to go to work. And that's exactly what you're stopping them from doing. So far from it being an act of speech, you're interfering with the actual right to free speech. You have to, if you're taking it seriously, it has to be that someone can choose not to listen. So just as if I drove around the neighborhood with a bullhorn and I gave some speech and like so loud that even if you got your windows closed at home, you still hear it. I'm, that's not an exercise of my right to free speech. It's an interference with other people. They should be able not to listen if they don't want to listen. So even for something like that, and then if it rises to the level of you're smashing windows, looting, taking people's property, the idea that that the First Amendment gives that some kind of cover. And oh no, we can't do anything about that because there's a First Amendment yeah, that's is, I mean, it, <clears throat> is crazy. Yeah. 
So one oh, of the, but we, go ahead. I, you wanted to talk, and I think it's good about the what Martin Luther King says and how it's being used today. Because part of what you read at the outside, maybe you talk a little bit about more about this, is he says it's deplorable. Yeah, and it's a twisted, distorted form of social protest that is is it's really a regrettable development. Uh, and I think it's important that he's, he's not condoning it or saying this is a good thing. He's saying if we're, I mean, he's addressing the American Psychological Association. And yeah, I think the title of the speech was uh, something about how trying to get behavioral psychologists, like looking at these issues and trying to understand what's going on. Uh, and from that perspective, he's addressing this from a psychological perspective. He's, he's speculating about or uh, proposing a, a view about what, what he thinks is actually going on. Is it just people are just violent or whatever, and he's trying to have a psychological angle on it. Um, and he, he does think it's deplorable and it shouldn't happen. Uh, and but he said, but it, they're here and we need to understand what's going on. And that's in a context where um, the blacks, I mean, thinking in the 50s and the 60s, it's still massive governmental discrimination, legal discrimination against them. And even in that condition, he doesn't think this is legitimate. It's understandable, he thinks. And you need to, if you're really trying to understand the phenomenon, you have to think about what might prompt someone to do that. But he thinks it's deplorable even then. And if you take the situation yeah. now where the, you don't have segregation, it's, we're not in the 60s, the idea that this is somehow legitimate or even understandable that they're not expressing their frustration well, but you have to understand the frustration. That's not my view. It's, I think now it's much more nihilistic. It's destruction it's for destruction. the sake of destruction, not sort of a futile and bad attempt to express frustration or something like that. Um, it's very different. It's, it's, uh, and it's, that, it's why when you look at some of the protest videos and so it's, what they've said, and I can believe this, there's some Antifa elements, but there's these, the anarchists of the right and of the left and so, that are, it's I'm very nihilistic, that what they're after is tear down the system, destroy everything. And I think that's much more what's being expressed now. I mean, expressed means the sort of the motivation of the looting and riots. So let me ask this. So when, so when, when you're trying to combat, maybe that's not the right word, when you're trying to, yeah, combat, to fight against some kind of injustice and to stake a stand where the injustice is more diffuse, you're not trying to challenge a law, right? We have a law that says you can't march here. And so you march there anyway, like a civil disobedience where you just, I'm going to march here anyway. They're going to arrest me and I'll have my day in court and I'll get to, you know, I'll have the respect for legality, but I'll break the law. So I can have my day in court and explain why I think it's unconstitutional or whichever. But when you're not fighting a particular law, but a kind of a more um, uh, diffuse kind of injustice that's going on, the, like the kind of things that people think are manifested in the killing of George Floyd, it's a kind of injustice against blacks by police. When it's that like that, how do you then protest that? Um, when it's not a, it's not a case of civil disobedience. When people are breaking, they're, if they're breaking somebody's windows, that's not civil disobedience. That's just lawlessness. Right. Yeah, and there's all kinds of forms in which one can legitimate, legitimately protest and advocate for something different. But it, it's 
advocating, which means communicating. Um, so you can hold rallies and so on, but on private property, rent out a stadium, an auditorium, a soccer field um, that's owned by someone and said, well, yeah, we're going to have a gathering here. We're going to talk about this and there's going to be uh, 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 people carrying signs and so on, but it's done privately and lawfully. And so there's no such thing as you legitimately are protesting when the protest involves violating other people's rights and freedoms. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's true. Her view, I think Rand's view was, and I, I think this is right, that that includes things like public streets, public universe. They're there for a purpose. Everybody should be able to travel to and fro. And if, if you're now deciding, oh no, I've decided now nobody can travel on this street, that you don't have a right to do that and you're interfering with other people's freedom. And it's the same thing just, I mean, if, you, if someone just keeps blocking you so you can't leave the office, you're physically impeding somebody's right of passage. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's a minor kind of case. And this is just the same thing in mass. Let me ask a question I've heard um, uh, because, so we, we've been talking about this in the context of the, the, the protesting following George Floyd's death. Um, but I mean, I wrote a piece about this, uh, about the issue, um, the same issue uh, in the context of the Trump election, because what we saw is people intimidating politicians, screaming at them in restaurants, chasing them or following them in the streets or standing outside their homes, with a with a with a horn, we know where you sleep and things like that, and and so it's it's the issue is wider and it's going to be more ongoing, I think, because perhaps in this upcoming election we're going to see more of this kind of thing in a political context, uh, and then you know the next time something like the George Floyd incident, if that if that happens again, it, we're, I think we're going to see this uh, spike in this again. But yeah, and there it's again this issue of speech versus other forms of action. Whenever there's an element of intimidation, but intimidation here means that, yeah, we know where you live. We're going to get you. You better watch out. Not your argument's wrong, and we're going to keep denouncing you, and we're going to... It's you better watch out. And the, the there's the implicit, yeah, you better look or behind else. you because someone's sneaking up on you. And, and that any form of intimidation by an individual, a group of a few people, or a mob, it that should not be permitted in a civil society. So I think her view, um, and certainly my view, is this is broad, that the, the kind of action that should not be permitted, it's um, these kinds of protests, the, the whole Charlottesville episode, which is worth talking about, yeah. that protest should not have been allowed. Um, the Occupy Wall Street should not have been allowed. The environmental there's a lot of where they stop people from logging and even it's not a whole big group but it's oh this is a protest so what are we going to do with this guy up a tree and so all of that um and including like at abortion clinics that you see this the, this kind of intimidation we were talking offline about when when some of the segregation laws are coming down and you see uh black kids going to school and there's a mob there and if that's not physical intimidation, not, okay, we disagree with this policy, but it's, they're screaming at this 12-year-old kid. That is physical intimidation and it should not be allowed. So it's pretty broad. 
of what, if you're taking out the issue of you cannot physically intimidate, there's a very big difference and a bright line between you're communicating ideas, including vehement disagreement with something, and you're introducing physical threat, physical danger, um, which is what the issue of intimidation uh, uh, involves. And you have to separate out those two. Yeah, another thing I've been hearing is that, uh, and this in many different contexts, uh, is, well, peaceful demonstration can only get you so far. Uh, and uh, often what's brought up is, uh, again, the issue of uh, race in the 60s, particularly uh, it's or 50s and 60s, is that, you know, peaceful protest was tried for a long time. But when you're trying to fight something that is kind of uh, uh, entrenched or recalcitrant or the way there's a lot of inertia in the opposite direction or a lot of passivity about the issue, it's only when things get ugly and things get violent that people really start kind of waking up and including government officials or policymakers to like, look, we need to do something. Otherwise this is going to get out of hand, like in a really ugly way, or it's going to come in my neighborhood, so to speak. Uh, and then people start worrying about it. Um, and in often putting that forward as well, we need to push the boundary. <laughs> In other words, we need to start using some force and some intimidation uh, because this is such an important issue. I mean, the way I look at that, I mean, this is, again, the kind of the end justifies the means, uh, which I don't think the end justifies the means. Yeah. And I think it's also dangerous because it introduces methods of uh, trying to attain social change that are really corrosive and dangerous. And it's the kind of thing which, if a society comes to allow that, and to uh, condone it or at least passively accept it, you're in a lot of trouble. The, 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 this is going to leak out, and I think it's going to encourage the worst elements in society uh, to start using force. Uh, and it's the next thing you know, somebody's fighting for justice for George Floyd, and the next time it's going to be a, a neo-Nazi marcher. <laughs> it's something really where things, uh, the violence gets pushed in, in very ugly directions. Yeah. Um, and it, it's one of the reasons, it's not the main reason, but it's a reason that everybody should be concerned with unjust laws and unjust use of uh, force by the government that you can understand from the perspective of the person regularly submitted to this. Like, what am I supposed to do other than defy these unjust laws? And the, you don't ever want to put a person, an innocent person, in that position. So the, it, it should matter to everyone that the, the rights are respected by the government. They're there to secure and protect them for everyone, for every citizen, for every person in the country. And so going back to Ayn Rand's view about some of this. So when she's writing... In, in cashing in the student rebellion. It's particularly about the student protests on campus starting at Berkeley in the 60s. But she talks a little bit about the civil rights movement and, and she calls it mass civil disobedience. And she says, uh, I'll quote a little bit, but she says there the issue is much less clear. <clears throat> um, she says, the main issue was the, so this is about the student protest. The main issue 
was the attempt to make the country accept mass civil disobedience as a proper and valid tool of political action. This attempt has been made repeatedly in connection with the civil rights movement. But there, the issue was confused by the fact that the Negroes were, were as italicized, were the victims of legalized injustice. And therefore, the matter of breaching legality did not become unequivocally clear. The country took it as a fight for justice, not as an assault on the law." Um, close quote. And if you think about some of the context there, so what you're, when you're telling people you should settle these issues but civilly, you, your rights have to be respected. You have to have a right to freedom of speech, a, a right to own property. And when we're talking about like, you should work to change these laws. You have to have a right to vote and vote in representatives. And this is, they're, they're saying, this is what we're denying. So how are we supposed to change the system and vote in our people if you don't allow us to vote? And that, that's a real, like, this is a real problem. And then if you think of it as like mass, so the, the, the marches on, I mean, there were marches where they're going to vote. Yeah. If you think of that and you think, why would they want to do it in mass? I think there's two reasons. So one is the kind of civil disobedience to make this clear that it's not one or two people, like some strange case where this guy was deprived of the ability to vote. This is systematic, that we are, this right is not respected. They were doing it under King, at least, nonviolently. So they're going to be arrested. And they're trying to showcase the injustice and the use of force against what should be seen as innocent people wanting to exercise a right. Yeah. But then if you also think of the lynchings in the South, and so I'd be scared to be the lone guy trying to go yeah. to vote. So there is strength in numbers there, and it is an issue of force, but it's much more understandable when, and when you see the footage of, of um, dogs being sicked on them and, and these police, uh, uh, and it's not just a hose. It, this is a hose that tears off skin. So it's, yeah, there's a safety in numbers there. And I think this is part of her perspective then of why, like this is not an unequivocal case of what they're, they're disregarding the law or yeah. something like that. People today going and smashing windows and stuff is not that, like you can't analogize these two yeah. things. Yeah, and sometimes uh, likewise, I mean, I've heard it said uh, people in some of the destruction of property that's going on around some of the current protests. Uh, and I've seen these kind of memes going around where on the one hand, one side says something like, um, uh, you know, you can't destroy uh, property, you know, that's bad. And then the other side, it has a picture of the Boston Tea Party. Uh, as if, I don't know why I have to defend the Boston Tea Party, <laughs> if I'm, you know, but I think part of it is, I mean, what's relevant, part of what's relevant to that is um, what the events that occurred uh, in connection with the Boston Tea Party are in the lead up to a revolution. And yeah, that, I mean, it, it, unless that's where you want to go, I mean, I don't, that, I mean, the, the analogy doesn't work. I mean, this was. Um, and it's a revolution for something better. Yeah. I mean, so they have a real view of what is wrong with this and real thought about this is how we would make it better. This would what be better laws and so on. And they've spent a long time petitioning the British crown and government that, look, what you're doing is not right. Um, this would be a better relationship, better laws. And so 
and get they get to the point that it's yeah okay discussion of this is not possible it's not possible to change the laws like this and it is then a break with the existing society but yeah that's it's a it's an extreme action and you better know what you're doing yeah you take that action and th but this is interesting so on the the first amendment kick issue so it's freedom of assembly and her view about that and what she talks about in regard to the Skokie case, Ayn Rand's view is that, yeah, there's freedom of assembly on your property, there's freedom of speech when it's your property, your money that you're using to pay for putting out your views. Um, if you think of in, in the First Amendment and the right to petition government for grievances, you could argue, um, and she doesn't talk about this, so this is my view, you could argue that the government carves out a space in which you can petition government, that it, you can physically go there and you're petitioning government. Uh, and you can think of the mall on Washington, which has a lot of demonstrations and things Historic, like this. As yeah. it's, that's a space that is carved <clears throat> out by government to allow for this kind of thing. I mean, there's other forms of petitioning. You can write letters. Now you can send emails. You so can you call. used to actually go, yeah. go to the White House or you'd yeah. go to the King or whatever it is, and you'd actually yeah. go and yeah. you know, read out something. And, and in that kind of case, I think what is crucial is in the way it's put in some kind of some Supreme Court decisions about the First Amendment that laws have to be content neutral. Um, and you can't have a law that it's okay, it doesn't really um, talk about content, but it's so clear that okay, it just applies to Catholics. So you're basically penalizing them because they were Catholics. And I mean, Catholics have been persecuted in, in the US uh, in, in past uh, decades. Uh, so th that like they can, will strike down the law as it's trying to get around the First Amendment. You're interfering with the religion. That's not what you say you're doing, but it's pretty clear that the, the law is designed to do this. So it has to be content neutral. And it's the same for public spaces like this. Like you would have to have some kind of process to say, okay, you can file that you wanna have a, uh, sort of demonstration and petition the government and you've got 20 signatures or something like that. So it's real. And then like, they would have to have some real process that it's, okay, we've got all these applications. We allow it one day a week or something like that. Yeah. And for the next three months, we have like a lottery that, okay. So they're not saying, okay, yeah, right. your protest is worthy of it. Your view is mainstream or whatever. So you can do it. But you're no, that's fringe. Neo-Nazis, that's fringe. Right. You can't do it. And it would it would have to be like random, like a like a lottery. And um not everybody would be able to do it, but it, it wouldn't you wouldn't be precluded because of what your grievance is and what you want to petition government yeah. about. And the space and, and the space is designed for this. Yes. Right. Where rather that it's not a public uh, I mean, a road is it's for it's for passages. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think also important is there would be no counter demonstration. Yeah. Um, so this You're is about, asking, that goes back to Charlottesville. Yes. The, the, what's, so Charlottesville, they should not have been allowed to march as though they're petitioning government that we want the statue to stay up. And so it's, they're clogging the streets. They were clearly there to intimidate. If you read about it, I mean, there was a synagogue uh, and they were really scared and they go out the back door and it is, it was, 
it was it had that whole element of intimidation. But to have a counter protest then, and here you had Antifa and, and things like this, it's it's like this is the such an introduction of force into the what should be a civilized society. And to cloak it under, well, okay, these uh, however you want to call it, white supremacist Confederate lovers, um, they have free speech. So the counter protesters have free speech. What does a policeman do in this case? If he um, doesn't get control of the situation, it right. so easily will descend into blows, the protesters and counter If he tries to exert some kind of control, it's you're interfering with their freedom of speech. Yeah. Or with one side's freedom and not the other. Or yeah. And the, it, you put them in an impossible situation. And in Charlottesville, um, the police trying to monitor it and control it, uh, uh, a helicopter crashed, a police helicopter crashed, and they died. And they're going to be told, and their widow and children are going to be told, yeah, he died protecting our rights and our First Amendment. And so he did not. He died because we don't understand what the First Amendment is. And we allow these kinds of protests and counter protests. The, the whole Charlottesville episode from many different angles was outrageous. And as citizens, we should be ashamed, I think, that we think, or too many of us think, oh yeah, this is the exercise of free speech and the police have to protect this exercise. We, the people who say that, and we condone this kind of thing, we're the people who killed the police. We've told them, we gave them this orders that yeah, this is freedom of speech. So you have to somehow make sure that all these demonstrations can happen. They're not violent. And, so, and the police have no idea what to do. And the aftermath of Charlottesville, when there were protests and demonstrations then in Boston, um, the police again didn't know what to do. They shut down and they shut it down basically because the viewpoint, it was again some neo-Nazi and it was, we're not having you. Yeah. And it was, and you can't give police that power either to shut down just based on the content of the thing. But what's needed is to rethink what freedom of speech means and doesn't mean and not to put police in a position where it's impossible to do the right thing because you've given them orders that don't make any sense. Yeah. You want to take some questions? Yeah. Because we got a couple in the, the Zoom uh, question module here that I think are important uh, for us to clarify. Uh, we got a question from Nick. Uh, and the question is, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I think this is important for clarification. He says, with all this said, would ARI say essentially that we publicly condemn all the peaceful protests happening? And he says, I suspect not, but what would, what would be your reasoning? Um, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what do you mean condemn? I mean, so if, if the idea is, no, I mean, I wouldn't say uh, I publicly condemn all peaceful protesting, because it's what are you condemning? Uh, is is are you condemning uh, um, what they're protesting about? If it's a, if it's a fight against some kind of injustice, is that being condemned? You have to be clear about what it is. Um, the point uh, we're trying to make, uh, I'll speak for myself, um, is that it's important to separate. Uh, it's important to exercise um, your free speech right 
in a way that doesn't violate other people's rights, in, an, in a way which doesn't introduce the element of force uh, into society for settling disputes. And part of the reason, the reason for drawing a distinction between, you know, you have a protest on private property or rented out space, or let's say if you had a, a government space that was just deliberately made for that, that's one thing. But you're not really, in, you're not introducing the element of force. You're not violating anybody's rights. But if you march through the streets and clog traffic, whether it's uh, the March of Dimes as somebody put, kind of innocuous and you know, well-motivated, you know, the March of Dimes or it's a Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, if you're blocking, if you're violating people's rights, you're blocking public thoroughfares, you can't get to the hospital or whatever it is, then you're, 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 extra, you're using force and that you can't classify that under speech or raising awareness. Um, and I think that's the point we're trying to get at. So no, it's not like I condemn all protests, peaceful protests. I, if they're going to be protests, they damn well should be peaceful. Um, but it, the, further, the further and more subtle point is that there is a way in which, and I think most people wouldn't, don't frame it this way. So they don't think of themselves, well, I'm going to go out and exercise force. They're like, no, I mean, I'm going to protest an injustice and I'll march in the street and whatever. But the important thing is, is to recognize that there is, that is a form of force. And that's, it's not as easy to see. I think that's what we're trying to stress. Um, yeah, so I would say in regard to the question, would we publicly say what our view is? I mean, that's what we're doing right now. So the answer in one sense is yes. Would we publicly say this? We're doing it right now. But is the, what, is the point just, well, there shouldn't be, we condemn peaceful protests. No, it's we uphold the right to freedom of speech. And a consequence of that is, the way people think about protest. And so most of these public protests that take place on the streets and so are illegitimate and none of them should have. But notice again, Ayn Rand's view, it was properly both should have been forbidden. So, so the, the hippies in the 60s and the neo-Nazis wanted to march in the 70s. Um, <clears throat> but if you permit one, then you have to permit all of them. So it's, you can't just boil it down to this sort of like a sound bite, and that captures everything. I want to say something about the March of Dimes, which you brought up, which is another question. Because my, again, Ayn Rand didn't, as far as I know, write about this or say it, but, but my view is very broad. It includes um, not just like protests and demonstrations, it includes celebrations. Take two, so parades. I do not think there should be parades on public property, streets, and so on. Even like it's way better if they're announced in advance. But even if they're announced in advance, I mean, I almost miss a wedding because I, I, I was in a city, the taxi driver had a taxi, so he knows where he's going. And so he turned on a one way street. He didn't know, I forget what the parade was. There was some parade. Um, and He's we had cars in front of us, cars behind us. He couldn't go anywhere. We were there for an hour. And I thought, oh, we're going to miss the, and the wedding was on a boat. So it was like, they're going to sail. And that's it. And I don't think people have a right to do that. The streets are there so that I can get to places. Not so you can have a parade. Rent out a stadium if you want a parade. And the same for celebra celebrations like sporting events. So when it spilled, we won whatever, the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup. And then people spill out in the streets clogged traffic, it often there too descends into uh, some kind of smashing of property and so on. That should not be permitted either. Yeah, that, and, and, and people, I, I've heard it said, uh, okay, here's another meme thing, but, it's, it, 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 but the way in which they encapsulate things is usually frames it wrong. Uh, and it's part of what's interesting about them. Um, the one hand, uh, 
people uh, point to the looting and the and the violence going on in the protests, and then they say, "Well, come on, this happens uh, after sporting events," as if it's yeah, we accept that. I mean, my wife and I were in Paris when they won the World Cup. Uh -huh. That was scary. That was really scary. Um, and masses and masses of people uh, running around, shouting, yelling. I mean, it was they trashed police cars. Yeah. We were in the Seven Arrondissements, it's like a posh kind of area, uh, and. There were guys climbing on police cars, smashing parked cars, glass everywhere, trash everywhere, police doing nothing. And my wife asked these two ladies, it's like, why come the police aren't doing anything? And what they said to her was, oh, there would be fighting in the streets if the police tried to intervene. That would be, it was just lawlessness. And, and if people say, well, you know, that kind of stuff happens, what's the difference? And that, so again, all of these kind of cases need to be. Yeah, and that again, it's, it really illustrates the way in which the police are an impossible situation. I mean, because we've seen this a lot in the protests now of policemen surrounded by mobs, police cars and so on. And all the discussion is like, why did they back up into a protest or why did they? They're surrounded, like the whole thing is intimidation and it should never get to that stage. But the only way to prevent it from getting to that stage is to prevent it at the outset of you can't have these kinds of mass demonstrations. Yeah. So we got a couple questions. One was about uh, Hong Kong and some of the protests going on there. And, and that's a question from Aaron. And then from Ricardo, another kind of a related question. Um, how should we think about mass protests in authoritarian countries? Of course, looting and arsoning, arson uh, is always deplorable, but how do these principles apply in places like Venezuela or Iran, uh, where there are no institutions or public officials to persuade? I don't know as much about Iran in this case, but Venezuela was a, I mean, it's just evolved into anarchy in effect. Um, in the case of an authoritarian regime, um, one's fighting for one's basic right to exist. Um, and in that case, often what you are doing is deliberately openly lawlessness because you're saying the, you, I think you're, you're calling on the idea that the government is illegitimate. Uh, and it's, 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 then you are actually at war with the government. Uh, and you have to think about what context that's appropriate. I mean, this is really, you're, you're moving toward revolution. Uh, and, and that's a different kind of context than today. Yeah. Um, I mean, today here in America. Yeah, I mean, Venezuela is, you're already living under lawlessness. So the authoritarian regime, it masquerades as we're a system of law and order and so, but the whole issue is it's we're using force on whim when we feel like it to advance our goals. There, there's no respect at all for rights. And in that kind of situation, it's very different. You have to think, you again don't want innocent victims insofar as you can prevent that. And you have to think about strategically, how effective is it going into the streets? Yeah. Is it, does it just make it easier for the regime to pick out the people who, okay, these are the people who oppose us, we're gonna arrest all of you, jail you without a trial and so on. So you have to think, uh, there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, a place like Iran, part of it, and I have a real sympathy for this is who they're talking to really is not the regime. It's the Western world. Stop supporting this regime and support us. And uh, when there were mass protests, when Obama was in power, it was deplorable 
the way in which the U.S. government would not side with the protesters who were peaceful and in effect protesting their regime and trying to say we're on the side of Western values and so on. And that should be certainly supported morally by the U.S. And then something similar with the protests in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is, they're at the brink of an authoritarian regime having total power. And that's what they're protesting. And the protests are, from what I've seen, peaceful. It's more akin to civil disobedience. We're protesting this law before it's on the books because we won't be able to protest it. And right. including like our free speech rights ever, will be gone if this becomes law. And in that situation, I both support the protesters. I, I have great admiration for their courage in yeah, Hong particularly Kong. Particularly Hong Kong. Yeah, for doing yeah. this. Um, and they should have the unwavering support of the US. Our relations, economic, diplomatic with China should not matter one iota about it. We, it should be 100% support for the protesters. And we should do what uh, you, the UK is doing. I would offer okay. every person in Hong Kong um, a visa and citizen. If you want to come to the yeah. US, you want to. Uh, yeah. yeah, you should be able to come. And the sim there's similar things with Taiwan that relates to the pandemic, the way that Taiwan is ostracized because it's supposedly owned by China. Is That is a moral travesty. So we're, we're coming to the end here. We've only got a couple of minutes. I think I might just uh, start my screen share again and uh, wrap it up a little bit. Um, so let me just share here. Um, if you're interested in some of the... Uh, I'm not seeing your screen. Okay, let me hit share here. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, if you're interested in looking up uh, some of the things that Ayn Rand had to say about the issue, uh, some of the issues we've been discussing, uh, you can take a look at her um, essay, The Cashing In, The Student Rebellion. It's in a book called The Return of the Primitive. You can also take a look at uh, the Ayn Rand Lexicon, which is available on our site, on our website, uh, the URLs there, and look up the section on free speech and some of the related uh, links to that. You can get a lot of uh, her perspective uh, from, from those materials. Uh, also, if you if you're enjoying uh, what you're you know hearing here or getting from these uh, webcasts and stuff, you can subscribe to ARI's YouTube channel, and uh, remember to click on the bell to get notifications. Uh, and if you if you're listening to uh, this on a podcast or our, our podcast, you can subscribe, tell your friends, and so on. And uh, we hope to see you next time. So Ankar, I guess that's that's it. Thanks for joining. And sure, uh, thanks, Aaron. Thanks yeah. everyone for joining. Yeah, thank you, everyone. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.